Welcome to Gary on Guns. I'm your host, Gary Nolan, co-host Scott Van Kirk, doing co-hosting duties, well, fairly well. Uh, not bad for a guy his age. Uh, but I am pleased to tell you that we have Dr. John Lott with us, crimeresearch.org. Uh, President Biden this week signed some executive orders dealing with uh, 80 percenters. Those are uh, guns that they're calling ghost guns. Uh, also, arm braces for the AR-15 pistol and red flag laws, uh, none of which I see as making much of a dent in anything in terms of saving lives. But Dr. John Lott has done more research than anybody I know. Uh, John, welcome back to the program. We're glad to have you with us. Uh, let's start with the red flag laws. He wants to do it nationally. How does how does that work? That scares me. Right. Well, before we even get into that, I just want to make a general comment, and that is, uh, I I don't know if I've ever heard a president make so many lies in such a short period of time as I heard with Biden. You know, maybe a lot of people don't understand a lot of the intricacies of the different types of gun control laws, but there were still a few whoppers that I think most people probably, I hope, most people would have caught on to. So, for example, he blamed the historic uh, spike in homicides this last year on changes in gun control laws. I'd like to know which gun control laws he thinks changed last year that caused the spike in, in homicides. I would hope most people know it's a pretty simple explanation for what happened, and that is, you know, you uh, uh, release inmates from jails and prisons across the country, any place from 25% and some places well over 50% of the inmates are being released. You order police to stand down and not do their jobs. You cut police budgets. And uh, you have prosecutors in major cities that are refusing to prosecute uh, violent criminals. And guess what? If you make it so you don't catch the criminals and you make it so that you're, you don't punish them even when you do catch them, uh, you're going to have a lot more crime. So I just hope that there were enough things like that that people kind of came away with and said, you know, this doesn't make sense, what he's saying. But you're right. One of the things, one of the many sets of false claims he made was with regard to red flag laws. Um, you know, uh, uh, he mentioned it in terms of mental illness. One of the interesting things is that um, uh, the state, only one of the state red flag laws uh, even mentions the term mental illness even once in the law. And none of those laws uh, actually require that you have to see um, some type of mental health care professional to evaluate you. Uh, the interesting thing is that... Um, uh, when you look at it, uh, uh, there's already law on the books, both federally and in all the states, uh, that deals with this in a much better way. It's something referred to as Baker Act type statutes, but in different states like California, it's called 5150 or what have you. And uh, in those cases, if uh, somebody is concerned that you may be a danger to yourself or others, uh, there can be a, a, a psychiatric evaluation where you know, maybe two psychiatrists will evaluate the person and then there's a quick hearing that occurs. 
And if you can't afford um, a lawyer, uh, one is provided for you. Um, and there's a whole range of options that judges face. Uh, obviously, they can involuntarily commit you, but they could do pretty much anything. They could have voluntary commitments uh, that are there. Uh, for me? No, no, no. Scott uh, had a question. Uh, uh. Go ahead. But I just want to just finish this up really quick. And that is, uh, um, uh, but the red flag laws don't have any of those protections. Uh, the judge, when he makes a decision to take away somebody's guns, will just have a piece of paper in front of him where somebody will have made a complaint. There's no mental health care professionals involved. People, and when there is a hearing, uh, uh, legal counsel is not provided for you. So I've talked to lawyers, a hearing often will cost $10,000. Well, you know, I may want to keep my guns, but is it really worth $10,000 to me to be able to go and hire a lawyer when the worst thing that can happen is they take away my guns? And besides, the red flag laws is, is almost always used uh, for suicides. You know, um, if I really think somebody's suicidal, do I really believe that the solution to that is simply to take away their gun, their legally owned gun, that that will solve the suicide problem that's there? It's just... It's just not a serious thing. It's just something that gun control advocates, they don't want to use the existing law because it provides safeguards, and, uh, and they, uh, it's just a mess. So, um, and it can have unintended consequences. So I, I'll give you an example. Um, one of the things, if you're depressed, it's important that you be able to go and talk to other people. Um, I... The executive director for the Crime Prevention Research Center, uh, Nikki Gozer, um, uh, a stalker, murdered her husband in front of her. And uh, she was very depressed afterwards. But you just have a stalker, one of your stalkers, murder your husband uh, in front of you. Um, she would have been devastated if somebody had taken away her ability to go and defend herself. Had taken away her gun. You could have some well-meaning person say, you know, she's very depressed. I know she has guns. We should try to take away her gun. Uh, what would that do to her willingness to go and talk to people, to go and confide that she was feeling depressed with other people? She wouldn't do it. And you see that with police. Police have uh, mental health issues at a much higher rate than the general population. But you take away a police officer's gun and their job is taken away from them. And so what are you going to do? You're going to make it so police won't confide in anybody when they're having problems? Is that the type of outcome we want to have? Yeah, I can I can see some problems there. And, and I also think what happens if uh, I'm in the midst of a divorce and uh, my wife... Well, people can make false claims, sure, about the individual and taking away their guns just to create... Problems. It doesn't have to be in a divorce. It could be all sorts of circumstances. Well, John, having some experience as a former law enforcement officer myself, under what you call the Baker Act in my state, it was known as an emergency detention. Um, probable or a reasonable suspicion was built into that mix. Right. Um, due process was definitely um, oh, built yeah. into that mix. And while 
I would say that from a legal standpoint, the criteria was pretty low. The bar was pretty low, but we still acted upon what we consider to be reasonable suspicion based on our own observations, the individual statements, the observations of other individuals. And we were empowered to take those individuals into custody for their own uh, safety and transport them to a mental health facility. Right. Um, after which they were um, uh, detained in that mental health facility for up to 72 hours. And I will tell you, uh, based on my experience, 99% of the time we were dealing with a, uh, a brief situational depression or other um, even situational psychosis. And those individuals were evaluated by uh, licensed mental health professionals and if necessary, if they were going to actually be there for more than 24 hours, if it wasn't a weekend, they were in front of a judge the next morning right. because of that due process. They didn't have time to get their own attorneys. One would be appointed by the judge to represent them in their right. interest and their rights. And that system worked. I will tell you that it, that system worked. If it were a situation where firearms were um, directly related, i.e. they had a gun, um, we ended up, you know, negotiating with them to keep them from killing themselves, things like that. That firearm was taken into custody as evidence. If we felt that we needed to address other firearms in the residence or whatever the case may be, then the, we have the individual. So we've got time to then pursue a warrant. And if a judge would give us a warrant for even a temporary seizure of those firearms, then yes, due process occurred. Um, but red flags, there's nothing in any of the red flag laws that I've seen from individual states or even what the Biden administration is talking about that deals with what bothers me the most, and that is due process. Right. Well, I mean, I, I, I hope I said pretty much what you just said. Right. And, uh, and those are the reasons why, uh, you know, it's preferred to go and use that. But that's it's precisely because of those safeguards. You know, the irony is. Uh, a lot of liberal, liberal Democrats have attacked those different types of, I mean, Baker Act is probably the most common, but it's, it, lots of different names it goes by. And uh, But a lot of liberal Democrats attacked it for not going far enough in terms of having safeguards. And the irony is they're willing to eliminate all safeguards when it comes to something that it just involves taking away somebody's guns that are there. If you well, just absolutely. turn the radio on, uh, Dr. John Lott is with us on Gary on Guns. John, I booked you for 10 minutes. Um, we haven't even gotten the pistol braces or anything else. If you've got to run, I understand. But if you can hang on, we'd love to, uh, we'd love to uh, uh, put you back on for the next segment. Okay. Uh, well, I guess I can do one more segment. All right, um, then we'll do one more segment. Stay tuned. You're listening to Gary on Guns. And uh, we'll be chatting with Powderhorn in a few minutes on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. Welcome to Gary on Guns. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Scott Van Kirk is with us. Dr. John Lott, uh, the crimeresearch.org. Uh, that is the place to go to find out the truth about guns. We've been talking about uh, the red flag laws that uh, President Biden is trying to uh, get passed. There are a couple of other things that he's trying to do this week. Uh, one of them deals with the pistol brace. And, John, it may have been used in one crime. May have been used in one crime. I don't see where this is, you know, the great evil. Yeah, well, they, and they're not, nobody's, at least I've seen, made a serious argument that 
having the pistol brace in that small of area actually could make any difference one way or the other inside the store there. But, you know, the thing is, there's a reason why the pistol braces got developed to begin with, and that is um, you had disabled veterans, people who may have lost part of their hand or may have uh, their arm had been badly damaged uh, or just disabled people in general. And having a strap that kind of makes it easier to go and hold the gun uh, was a solution for those individuals. And I guess I would just point out that allowing disabled people to be able to go and defend themselves against criminals, because disabled people often are very attractive targets for criminals, hardly seems like the worst thing in the world to me. And you have to look at both costs and benefits and too often in the gun control debate if they see one example where something may have been used wrong even before they know many of the facts there they're already they want to ban it and and you know the biden's discussion uh in his presentation the whole point seemed to be can i point to one bad thing associated with a gun and therefore we should change this law or have this regulation and there was no nuance there there was no kind of going and weighing the costs and benefits of any of this stuff well uh, limited examples and anecdotal evidence makes for horrible public policy yeah i agree is there a lesson to be learned from the bump stock ban that uh, the federal courts just rejected well i mean i think uh my own guess is a number of these regulations he wants to have will probably be ultimately rejected the problem that you face, though, is that um, the D.C. Circuit Court is completely controlled by Democrats. That's the court that handles all the regulatory issues. Uh, you know, 99 percent of the cases that uh, uh, go through a circuit court end at the circuit court, 99 uh, percent plus. Uh, it's only a tiny fraction of 1 percent ever make it to the Supreme Court. So, you know. Even if it does make it to the Supreme Court, uh, you're going to have five, six years where it kind of is going to be in effect uh, because you're dealing with a very democratic court there. The, um, the, the pistol brace thing, I thought we'd already gone through this once before. They said they were going to go after them, and then they said they weren't. It was one particular company. Now they're going after them again. Uh, it's, it just seems like such a... a a silly rule, such a, a silly thing to go after. Uh, but then they're going after uh, 80 percenters, uh, what they're referring to as ghost guns. They are really good at coming up with names that sound scary, you know, assault weapon, uh, ghost guns, etc. But these 80 percenters, it, 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 John, isn't the cat out of the bag already? I mean, if I got a 3D printer, I can print my own gun. Oh, yeah, sure. No, I mean, <clears throat> look. Uh, just so people understand, uh, what they're talking about is basically a lump of metal that doesn't have the firing section removed from it. Um, so, you know, you read the law, there's a reason why the BATF has had the rules that it's had for decades, and that is the 1968 uh, uh, Gun Control Act was pretty clear that, uh, and, you know, what constituted a firearm. And, uh, and, you know, this having a lump of metal there that you have to go and drill out 
in order to even create a, a, a firing set, you know, a, a place there where the bullet can go is not, uh, is, you know, doesn't meet the definition. And they're not going to change the law. They don't have the votes to change the law. But if they are successful, uh, you know, even temporarily in uh, changing what a firearm is defined as, if you're going to make it so broad that a simple lump of metal, you know, a solid piece of metal there uh, is going to be defined as a firearm, my question is what's not going to be defined as a firearm? Yeah, I guess I could get a, a lump of steel, uh, just a block of it, and if I had the skill set to turn it into a, a, a receiver, uh, they could say that uh, that that lump or that's, that block of steel is uh, a ghost gun. It just doesn't make sense, Scott. And, and, and by the definition, this has gone on for years because I've, I've, I'm not a person who does kit guns. Uh, but for years, if you possessed, prior to the 80% movement, if you possessed the machine ability, the equipment, you could manufacture a firearm, not for resale, but for yourself, non-transferable, um, and that has it literally since the 60, 68 uh, Gun Control Act when they defined what a firearm was and made it where we had to start putting serial numbers on manufactured firearms. Uh, it's, it's been as common as it, within a certain segment of the industry or within a, the community. It's been very, very common if you had the skills to even design your own gun. Um, you could do that, and it was your gun. Um, right. you, and you weren't allowed to sell it. It's a felony for you to sell and, the guns. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> And they're talking that this supposedly there's a there's a movement an illegal movement within California that that supposedly gangbangers have got people that are manufacturing eighty percent into full full on firearms and such, but um as as previously stated that's already illegal. Yeah, that doesn't change anything, and it's my understanding based on a study that I just saw uh, yesterday for the first time, something like less than one point eight percent of. Uh, crimes are committed with these uh, guns, these 80 percenters. Um, so it, it doesn't appear to be much of a problem. And I can't imagine, John, that the bad guy is going to go, oh, that's against the law. I guess I can't do that. Yeah, clearly that is never going to happen. All right, coming up in just a few minutes, uh, we are going to chat with Powderhorn, Jordan, 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 see <laughs> Just we have ruined his name for him. Jordan Hargrove is going to be on board with us. So is Brian Mays. We'll kick this around and a whole bunch of other topics on Gary on Guns. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. And I'm pleased to tell you that Brian Mays has come in with Jordan Hargrove. Jordan, I apologize for trying to change your name, but you know I'm pretty godlike uh, because yesterday morning I announced Dick Van Dyke's death, and then I resurrected him a little later in the show. Uh, no, it's perfect. You have that power, you know. Yes, yes. Uh, anyway, Powderhorn, they are on Paris Road, 1915 Paris Road. And, uh, you know, I was listening to uh, John Lott talking with him yesterday, and uh, we played that today. And I don't see where this gets anything done. Did you guys hear anything that sounded like, you know, somehow criminals are not going to use their firearms? Did it, was there anything that I missed in this? Boy, I, I didn't really see much in there. You know, the mo most of it, in layman's terms to me, seemed to be, hey, ATF, try to write some rules that, that 
states could try to adapt if they wanted to or just try things that they failed at again. I, I didn't see much really that, that's going to change anytime soon. You know, the whole thing with uh, the 80 percenters, and, and it's, you know, you could get a, a chunk of steel, and if you had the skill set to grind it and mill it and drill it and turn it into a gun, if you're going to say an 80 percenter is a gun that uh, needs regulated, then you're going to say a chunk of steel. Uh, any chunk of steel uh, is also a gun. And I think we went through this with the bump stocks. Uh, I think that uh, when uh, President Trump opened the door to kind of redefining what a firearm is or uh, what a fully automatic weapon is, uh, that's what I think Biden uh, is relying on here. Uh, and, and Brian, uh, the uh, the federal courts rejected this thought. I don't even see where this goes anywhere. It really, it really can't hardly go anywhere. Uh, people have been able to to build their own firearms for years in their own machine shop. Once you've built it, you cannot transfer it, and that's been the the standing the standing protocol forever. And it just seems that they're trying to make a a mountain out of a molehill because there's such a small number of these out there in the world in the first place. And where do you draw the line? Like you said, uh, is eighty percent completed is that now a firearm but what about 70 percent or 30 percent or just a billet of steel yeah it's like how are you gonna it's kind of arbitrary and capricious to suddenly decide 80 percent is a gun uh it just it just doesn't make sense uh, but i do blame donald trump for uh opening the door to this line of thinking with the bump stops uh, yeah with the bump stocks and and how about all those people who were turned into criminals if they kept their bump stocks those things weren't cheap. They weren't cheap. They were, you know, and they, they were actually somewhat functional. Um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of them, but that doesn't really matter. They, they served their purpose, and people enjoyed them. Um, and why they were ever put in that banned list, I'll never know. You know, it's funny. Everybody I know that's in the gun community, in the firearm community, that's, that's either shot uh, or owned uh, a bump stock. They all said the same thing that you just said. Like, you know, they could be fun, but they're not particularly, they're, you know, I'm not a great fan of them because they're not particularly uh, good for shooting at any kind of a target. It's just fun to watch your money get spit out of the uh, barrel a little more quickly. Particularly these days, and, you know, they really didn't serve any greater function than the common belt loop uh, with trained hands. Anybody with a belt loop could do the same thing that a bump stock did. Uh, just didn't look quite as tactical, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So, you know what? i, I got to tell you, uh, last time you guys were on from Powderhorn, uh, my co-host on the national show, Scott Van Kirk, was, was in, in studio with us. And <laughs> you guys uh, apparently uh, lassoed him and dragged him kicking and screaming uh, over to the Powderhorn uh, gun store. And, and he, he purchased a firearm from you guys. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he, Go ahead, sorry. Well, he was just, it, he talked about it uh, to me for two weeks. He loves that gun. Do you have any more of those, of that particular model? Uh, no, of, co of course not now. It's, it's crazy. We didn't think we were going to have that, and he was so surprised by it that he, he didn't even, he never let it out of his sight. I think he, he followed on our bumper the entire way over there to <laughs> assure that that was going to be in his possession by the end of the day. <laughs> he loves it, by the way. You want to tell everybody what that was? Let's see, that was the new uh, Smith & Wesson Shield. Um, that had the uh, put a double stack into it instead of a single stack had a little bit different of a setup uh, 
for the the grip and everything. And the the biggest thing of it was the amount of ammunition it could hold instead of the seven or eight rounds, and and bumping that up to be closer to what some of the other competitors had done, and and then uh, change the grip and change the trigger. Um, and both of those things were really big. Got rid of the hinge trigger and and did some other stuff that uh, that that he really liked. Yeah, he said uh, he showed me the firearm. Uh, and, and by the way, when, when you uh, put a firearm in front of Scott Van Kirk, he tries to disassemble it as quickly as he can. Springs are flying, pieces are going out. Uh, but he loved shooting it. He's already had it out. Uh, and he said that it, uh, it feels better even than his previous model. And, of course, has that extended, uh, uh, has, you know, the double stack. So he's, he's just thrilled with that. Any ideas if you're going to be getting any more of those in? I mean, yeah, and I think we've gotten one or two more since then, but, I mean, in all honesty, right now, if a gun lasts 20 open hours of the store, that's really impressive. Um, stuff just turns, especially semi-automatic handguns like that, concealable semi-automatic handguns. It's just going so fast. So, yeah, we'll keep getting ones and twos and ones and twos. It's just one of those, man, you got to almost hit the lottery or call us every day to, to figure out if we've got it. Yeah, that is just such a terrific firearm. And, Scott... Absolutely loves it. If you're interested in getting one, you might want to check with Powderhorn on a regular basis uh, because they they are disappearing like crazy. Uh, we'll find out what other uh, firearms uh, that they uh, want to brag about uh, in the next segment of the program. Uh, but uh, and, and we'll talk about ammunition. Do you guys know that they set another record? I mean, a huge record last month in Nick's checks. Something like a 60% increase over last year, which was a record last year. Yeah, it was. Uh, we got emails about it because uh, they'll, they'll email us, and it, it seems like it's a a warning of, hey, we're about to get overloaded and go down for a little while. But they at least uh, do a pretty good job of keeping us up to date on that and letting us know that things are going to slow down because it, you know, system was only built to handle so much. But it is an insane amount right now. And as we look at our stacks of forms, you can compare that versus 2019s and 2020s forms, and you're just like, holy cow, it's it's amazing. It is amazing. It's, it's like one event after another nationally continues to drive firearm sales. Uh, I would imagine that Biden may be one of the finest uh, salespeople for firearms that has ever, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> promoted firearm sales. The, um, the number of uh, firearms sold uh, does raise a, a, a serious concern for me, and I always try to talk about this. It, a lot of people buying firearms for the very first time, and they think all they have to do is, you know, know how to uh, put the magazine in and pull the trigger. You need to know so much more than that. Please, if you're a new firearm owner or you're a current firearm owner who's never taken a class, take the class. Even if you don't get the permit in Missouri, take the class because you need to know the law. You need to know what to say, when to say it, and how to say it if you ever pull your firearm out. It is so important. Uh, and with uh, so many millions of new firearm owners, I just need that message to get out on a regular basis. Um, speaking of new fire, are you guys getting a lot of first-timers? Yeah, I'd say last year was, geez. I mean, so many people, especially in the May, April-May window of last year, was so many first-time uh, people. And some of them just were first-time. They're like, yeah, this, this is awesome. Some of them, yeah, you could tell they were doing it because of, worldwide conditions and so they felt the need to do it 
Um, but yeah, it was it was so many brand new people, and a lot of them did ask for training. And of course, we always tried to pass on a, a a card of okay, these are the people in in the area that you can go take these classes with. But of course, with the COVID restrictions last year and and the the rightful, wrongful, whatever fears, uh, it was harder to even get training. Um, so you, you had a perfect storm of of so many brand new, first time, untrained you know parents didn't do it they are the first generation to have firearms and they couldn't go get training even if they wanted to for a lot of places yeah so now is the time uh to get out there and get that training all right powderhorn is on board with us and uh, we're talking uh everything from uh, biden and, and by the way biden light we'll explain that and talk about it next on gary on guns hot talk 93.9 the eagle hey welcome glad to have you with us glad to be with you jordan hargrove is on board with us from Powderhorn, and they are at uh, 1915 Paris Road, and uh, he has brought with him Brian Mays, or Brian Mays has brought with him uh, Jordan Hargrove, but whatever happened, they're both in the studio with us, so uh, glad to have them on board. Uh, so President Biden, I'm still having a hard time saying that, I really am. <laughs> President Biden has uh, come out with these, uh, you know, indications, uh, executive orders that he wants, uh, BATF. Uh, to uh, allegedly control, uh, uh, isn't that AFT? Uh, n- well, it is in his mind. Okay, just check. You know, yeah, uh, <laughs> you sit down to dinner and order a vegetable. He shows up at your table. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, he came out, made this big speech, and I listened to this, and it was making me crazy. Uh, among other things, he brought out this trite argument about. Gun uh, uh, background checks at uh, gun shows. Because of the background checks, what more would have happened? These bills, one, require background checks for anyone purchasing a gun at a gun show or an online sale. Most people don't know. You walk into a store and you buy a gun, you have a background check. But you go to a gun show, you can buy whatever you want and no background check. Okay, so I wanted a hork right away. <clears throat> I've been uh, I've been to gun shows uh, uh, and I've uh, purchased firearms, uh, and I've always ended up getting a NICS check because most of the people, I would argue, ninety nine percent of the people, are retail federal firearms licensed gun dealers. Didn't you use the secret phrase though? Well, what was it? You go, Psst, I want to take advantage of the gun show loophole, you see, and then you can buy under the table. You didn't try that? No, I, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. it, uh, there was no, there didn't seem to be any way around that. Uh, if you guys go to a gun show from Powderhorn uh, and you sell a gun, even though you're not uh, in your brick and mortar store, don't you have to do a NICS check? Yes, no, no matter where we're at. You know, we do a lot of the... Uh, Oh, the uh, charity events and things like that that raffle off firearms and things like that. And no matter where it's at, if we have an FFL auction, anything, then they have to fill out a federal background check. There's no way to get it out of our books unless we sell it to another dealer without a federal firearms license check. Now, and I've pointed this out in the past because there will be people walking around at that uh, gun show. And usually what happens uh, every time I've gone to one, if you've got a firearm that you want to sell... Uh, you hit the front door, and uh, they take the magazine out, and they 
they uh, zip tie usually the semi-automatic open, uh, but they use a zip tie in revolvers too to to make sure that they can't be fired. And you may wander around, and it, and somebody may offer you uh, money for the firearm that you're carrying, which would be a way around a nix check. Party to party sales happen all the time. They're 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 not super common, but they do happen, and they should happen. Uh, people transfer firearms to friends. They transfer firearms to uh, coworkers. It it happens. It's always happened, and it's just like selling anything else. Selling a used car um, at gun shows, however, most of the gun shows are put on as, by, as a business, and the gun show operator sells table space to whoever will buy it. Generally speaking, the people who buy the table space are gun dealers who have the most product to sell. And almost every table that you'll see at any gun show you go to is a dealer. And those dealers at the gun shows have to live up to all of the rules that they live up to in their own store, which includes running a NICS check on every single person who wants to buy a firearm. Are there a couple party-to-party sales that happen at a gun show? Maybe. But it's, it's a very, very small number. And again, we're looking at trying to make a problem where one doesn't exist. Yeah, but Brian, don't you want those person-to-person sales to take place inside that gun show versus meet me out back, meet me across the street? Uh, I mean, uh, when I think about that, I think, well, what if I go meet this guy uh, and he doesn't have any intention of giving me money for the gun? He's going to point a gun at me and steal it. It's unquestionably a safer experience to do that party-to-party sale at the gun show versus in a back alley to the extent that in all of our stores we offer a service where people can, at no charge, come do party-to-party transfers through our FFLs. Uh, And that's a service that we normally charge for if you order a gun off the Internet and it comes to us and we transfer to you. There's routinely a charge with that. But for party-to-party, there's no cost for that to just facilitate that for anybody who's interested. And I've done that. I did sell a a privately sold a firearm at a gun show several years ago, went to a dealer, and they did a NICS check so that I was comfortable selling the firearm. Uh, as the as the seller, it gives you a great amount of comfort to know that the recipient of that firearm is lawfully uh, permitted to be in possession of that firearm. Uh, so there's there's comfort that goes along with that. Yeah. But if you're transferring something to your brother or a sibling or a child, uh, there should there should not need to be a next check for that transfer. There never has been, and there doesn't need to be one now. Yeah, uh, it, it's silly. Uh, it's useless. Uh, it won't stop anything. My fear is, and it always has been, that when they do these kinds of things and it doesn't make any difference, that their argument is we didn't go far enough. And, you know, if we just could, if we could just have gone a little bit further, those nasty Republicans hadn't gotten in our way. If it weren't for the NRA, we would have saved all these lives. Uh, so let's go further. Uh, and it, it, you know, the further, uh, I think, ultimately ends up with gun registration, uh, which is a, a dangerous precedent uh, and has been, frankly, all over the world. Uh, pistol braces, the arm brace. Uh, if you've been, you know, injured, uh, you have a problem, I don't care if it's arthritis or a war injury or whatever, uh, and you want to shoot an AR-15, you can't do it without a pistol brace. So are we to deny veterans 
the ability to fire an AR-15 if they want to go to the range and plink? And that seems to be the uh, the problem they've had in the past with the pistol braces, is it didn't turn into a how to define a part of a firearm. It, it They turned it into an argument of, well, you're telling people how to properly shoot and not shoot. And that's why they've honestly been allowed for as, as long as they have. And, you know, if, if that device helps that person, whether it be anybody, even a small percentage of, of people, then it, it seems like something we should be, be allowed to do. Yeah, I think in the end, um, if it ends up in the courts, that uh, they're going to just throw away any kind of legislation that redefines what a firearm is, uh, and I think uh, ultimately this is a loser uh, for the administration. Perhaps they're just trying to placate their friends on the far left uh, by suggesting that these are, you know, goals that might happen. But I don't, I don't see it happening. They've tried this what, uh, twice before. So when when the SIG brace, of course, that was what it was originally. Uh, SIG came out with it first. And uh, they called it SIG brace, and they tried. And uh, they yep. went to court, and they tried, and they lost. And then they tried again a few years ago to to write the the thing to move it out, and they just couldn't do it. Couldn't These do it. people are tenacious, and they will continue to come back. Powderhorn is with us. We're going to find out what firearms they're going to highlight that you might be able to head over to the store and get next on Gary on Guns.